Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. We are at the halfway point of the season. The Tom Herman coaching sweepstakes is about to rev up. Clemson's a clean 6-0. Hurricane Matthew is gone, and life is good. This is your host, Nick Tully. I'm joined today by Cody. And I'd like to welcome our new listeners, and thank you all for joining us. Um, if you haven't done so yet, I encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We post uh, not only links to our show recordings when we get those up, uh, but we're starting to get more active on both of those platforms, posting links um, to some interesting Clemson-related content, and in general, commenting on stuff that goes on in college football. Uh, additionally, if you haven't done so yet, also encourage you to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or on your smartphone's podcasting app. Uh, and please, this helps us out quite a bit. Uh, if you can, tell a friend about the show. Uh, we've really grown our listener base over the last couple of years uh, through word of mouth. So that goes a long way, and we really do appreciate it. If you guys like the show, definitely tell your fellow Clemson fans about it. Uh, so Cody, pretty nice win we picked up on Friday, uh, 56 to 10 over Boston College on a short week in a tough place to play. Um, let me ask you, I know we talked a little bit about the Friday night game, you know, whether or not we were annoyed that Clemson had to play this. What are your takeaways from the Friday night game? Well, I was never that disappointed that we were going to play a Friday night game in the first place. And I think ultimately it was just another opportunity for us to uh, to be on live television, prime time, uh, no one else really to compete with aside from from baseball, which I think that's mostly just mostly draw, draws regional interest at this point. So I think we got a lot a lot of uh, kind of the, the casual fan crowd to, to come see Clemson play again, at least in that first half, I think. Um, just another nice platform. Um, as a fan, I enjoyed it. Uh, it was nice getting off work, uh, going to uh, our Clemson bar. Uh, you know, and then, of course, that frees up your entire Saturday to enjoy other college football games, you know, take a look at other, some of the other top teams. I don't know, what, what was your take? Yeah, no, I, that last point you made is how I feel about this. Like, um, both with the Georgia Tech game, playing that on a Thursday, and this Friday night game against Boston College. Downside, of course, is a short week for the team. Not as much preparation. Um, and at least one of those games for Boston College, we were coming off a Louisville game that was all-encompassing of the team's focus. So that can be a downside, but, you know, as a fan, having a stress-free Saturday to just be able to watch other games or, you know, get outdoors and um, that kind of thing is, is great. I like that part of it. And, yeah, just the national stage component. I mean, granted, there was a pretty big playoff baseball game happening Friday night, but if, you were, if you're a college football fan, chances are you're tuning in to watch Deshaun Watson and Clemson at least for a little bit. So um, definitely helped us out. I mean, I, I'm glad this wasn't a home game, having to give up a, a full day of tailgating for people um, and all the revenue and everything else that goes in with the Saturday game. I'm kind of glad that we haven't had to do that yet. Um, we'll see. I'm sure the ACC will try to schedule that soon enough. Dabo has claimed he's not into it. So we'll see what happens there. Well, the, the first go round wasn't so bad, and I think like, I think you hit on it. As long as it's not a home game, if we're going up to Boston College anyway, uh, we do the Thursday night games. So why not? Why not do a Friday night game? I, I think it. I think right, it turned out right. to be a positive. For sure. Um, otherwise, though, I mean, it was nice having yesterday off to consume what was ended up being a great weekend of college football. Uh, turns out it's not over yet. South Carolina, Georgia just kicked off um, half an hour ago or so. Uh, we're recording this midday Sunday, so um, we'll keep an eye on that game. But uh, this was a weekend. We're, like I mentioned, we're at the halfway point. Lots of playoff implications, both with um, pretty big matchups that happened and you know some big upsets that happened as well. So 
we'll touch on some of that a little bit later in the show. But um, I think for Clemson at the midway point, there's a lot that we've learned to this to this point, and um, we can get into that here, starting with the offense, Cody. Uh, with the remaining schedule and sort of where we've seen the team come along, um, I think over the first the course of the first at least two to three games, and really throughout, there's been talk of the offense doing a little bit of sleepwalking. Uh, but actually what we've seen in the last three games is Clemson start to wake up a bit. Um, for the second game in a row, Clemson's offense averaged eight yards per play. They did that against Louisville, who was the number 25 defense, and Boston College here Friday. Coming into this game, they were number eight, according to S&P+. Um, eight yards per play is a phenomenal performance um, by any, any measure. And against good defenses, you know, that's definitely the case. Um, I also think we've seen a return of Deshaun Watson as a deep threat quarterback, something we knew he was capable of, but hadn't really seen the first few weeks. So let me maybe ask you a question here, Cody, were we right to be concerned those first few weeks with what we saw from the offense or are we really just, you know, hoodwinked somehow and should we really forget about the eye test? That's a, that's a great question. And I think part of that, where we, uh, where we hold the offense or the standard that we hold the offense to really starts with probably the playoff going against Oklahoma, uh, the national championship game. It was like we were building this, this crescendo up to just excellence. Uh, we quickly forget last year, and I'm, we'll talk more about kind of this year versus last year, but it was, it was definitely uneven. Um, we, we finished at the pinnacle, you know, despite losing. Uh, in terms of the offensive performance, and then we were hoping to pick up with that Auburn game, you know, put 40 or uh, 40, 50 points uh, on them and Jordan Hare, and it just didn't happen. So, in, in terms of the eye test versus, uh, you know, our, our performance, um, I, I still think there is some that we should definitely be worried about. For one, Deshaun Watson's inaccuracy. Uh, that's not just the eye test, it's just a fact. He's just yep. hasn't yep. been the same. That deep ball, which is normally elite, hasn't been as, you know, pinpoint accurate. So, that's that's definitely worrisome. You do see that. You did see him, you know, kind of get back on the right track against Boston College, and you know maybe that's confidence. It's between the years, um, but I, I think I think where we're at right now, uh, and you know, get your opinion. I, I think we're in a great spot moving forward. I know that's that's easy to say, but um, I, I think we're we're building in the right direction. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think a couple of factors that will help us out here. Number one. Really, in terms of challenging defenses, I think Deshaun and the team can continue to build confidence against lesser defenses the next few weeks. Um, we've got NC State on the schedule. We've got Syracuse and Wake Forest coming up. Um, those teams may not be as bad as we all thought they would be this season, but I think those are definitely teams that are on a much lower level than Clemson and Clemson's offense. So I think we can continue to work through the kinks, and, and um, Deshaun can uh, hopefully work on his accuracy against those teams. Um, I also think we're going to face a really tough test down in Tallahassee as Florida State gets healthy. Um, so that's something where, yeah, we will be challenged. Um, getting Hunter Renfro back as well will, and I'm, I'm not sure you may know what his timetable is for a return here. Uh, I don't think it's in the next one to two weeks, but down the line we'll certainly get him back. I think that's going to give Deshaun Watson something that he's lacked the first few weeks. Um, he bailed us out against Troy, bailed us out against Auburn. Um, and that's something that, thankfully, we didn't need him to get a W over over Louisville. But getting Hunter Renfro back, I think, will help this offense out. Um, and we can talk about scheme here in a moment, what's what's gone on with the team and their ability to um, get yardage. But I know you spent some time looking at other offenses around the country. Um, 
I, I'm not sure I'm seeing among this offense at Clemson, you know, when we do get into a third and long, our ability to go get four or five, six yards. I'm not sure at this point, like, who our go-to player is. We've seen some, some great games come from Ray Ray McLeod. Deion Kane is all of a sudden a touchdown machine. He scored four in the last two games. Um, but do, you, do we have that kind of go-to option at this point? <laughs> And that's that's what really defines, I think, the elite teams out there. They they know where they can find five or six yards, whether that be the run game, whether that be, uh, you know, the tight end play or, or whatever it is, maybe a, a go-to wide receiver. We certainly have the tools and we certainly have the people in place to, to set up mismatches all over the field, but we don't have that that answer quite yet. And that that's a little bit worrisome. And maybe that's by design. It's It's Tony Elliott wanting to you know, move the ball about, move the ball around, get guys involved, keep everyone's spirits high, their confidence high, um, you know, uh, be, able, be able to sell this to recruits that, hey, we, you know, we, we spread the ball around. And as, as nice as that all is, you know, for against Alabama, like you said, in a third and five situation, you know, where's the ball going? And I think, I think ultimately that it's, it's, it's going to be with Deshaun Watson, whether that's in a zone read, a design run, a, a whatever, it's, you know, moving the pocket so he can make a, a play with his legs and his arm. But uh, that, that, that's still, it's something that I don't like this, uh, I don't want to say Jekyll and Hyde or this on-off switch that we, that we tend to have, but it's, um, it's just, I want to know where we can find, uh, I want to know where we can find those five or six yards, and uh, I, want, I want them to kind of go more to that, instead of like diversifying so much with the play calling, you know, find the three, five things that work, and, and maybe that's the, the criticism is, is uh, kind of overplayed as it is is that we maybe we're trying to spread the ball around a little too much mm. so you're thinking you know understand what works it's tough i mean it seems like jordan leggett can get free from just about any matchup um continue to you know, as a, an example you know find the two to three things maybe four or five elements of the offense that work and make teams stop you um we've seen teams go three four or five plays in a row on the same thing elsewhere in the in the country and make that work i think michigan did that in a recent week um, they're in the same play like four times in a row um, down the field. So, yeah, maybe some simplicity. Um, and you will have the luxury to do that against these lesser opponents. I know those, those tend to be the times when we're cycling in, you know, trying to get guys reps, trying to get guys playing time to find out what we've got. But, um, yeah, when it comes down to it against these tougher opponents later on, we got to know what, our, what kind of our aces up the sleeve are, right? That's a great point. And if you look at, you know, talking about going to that same play, Bobby Petrino, as, as we know, is an offensive wizard. He has no, he doesn't hesitate to go to the same play, you know, one time or after the other and, and just go to it. And he, he kind of did that in the, you know, kind of hitting some of the, the guys on underneath routes in the, in, the, in the game. He always had that safety outlet, that safety valve, or Lamar Jackson did, and he could go to it time and time again. You know, who is that guy for us? And it, Jordan Leggett's finally picking up his game, and I think that's just more pro, a, a byproduct of us, uh, you know, getting him the ball, making design plays for him. Uh, but I think he could be that guy. I think there's no reason Mike Williams uh, it shouldn't be just getting more one on ones on the outside and just throwing it up for him. He is an NFL player that, you know, luckily, he came back to Clemson for another year. Uh, and then Artavis Scott might might be another answer on the outside because he's unlike uh, our good our, our guy Ray Ray. Um, Artavis is very sure-handed. He's not going to drop the ball. He's not going to fumble it. Um, he's not. He might not have quite the explosive upside as a Ray Ray McLeod, but he does. He does have a little bit of a wiggle. He can make you miss. He's strong. 
And I, I would really like to see him utilize more kind of those the screen passes, jet sweeps, uh, whatever, just getting to the perimeter. And I think that in, as you kind of start opening things up, it gives the defense more to occupy their minds. Well, that allows Deshaun Watson to be more, uh, uh, we'll say, available in the run game as well. So uh, mm-hmm. I think you're going to see a few more wrinkles added to the offense, especially as we approach the Florida State game. So you're thinking almost using Octavius Scott as an extension of the run game early will open up things like deep balls or even opportunities for Wayne Gallman and Deshaun Watson for between the tackles running. Right. And that, I mean, that's part of it, too, is, is you, you got you to gotta stretch the field both horizontally and vertically. And I think we're getting to the point where um, we, get, we can do it vertically. Uh, we have Deion Kane, We have Mike Williams as two elite uh, deep ball threats. Now it's time to do it a little bit more horizontally. And then you're starting to see uh, when this offense is, is churning at you know, 100% efficiency, and we, didn't, we haven't seen it much in the last two years, but the times that we have seen it, they're, they're using every piece, every yard on the field, and, and they're making the defense account for every yard on the field. And, and once we do that, that's when we start coupling a, maybe a top-five defense with a top-five offense, and that's when Clemson's upside is, is right there with anyone's. For sure. Well, you know, very encouraging signs. I think over the last three weeks we've seen you know, in, the, in the 40s per game um, in terms of points scored and just in general, you know, resurgence of, um, of play calling, et cetera. I think we're at 41 points per game. Um, nearly 500 yards per game, which we know is that sweet spot for this offense. And in terms of yards per play, I mentioned eight yards plus two weeks in a row. So, um, you know, good momentum here as we crest the the midway point. Um, any any passing comments about O-line play in the run game, Cody? I mean, for me, I, it seems like the offensive line is starting to gel. Unfortunately, we saw Tremaine Ankrum go down with an injury. Um, it seems like somewhat the the rotations are... Uh, working out and spelling guys. I know that was a concern of people um, the first couple of weeks of the season. Like, why can't we, you know, get our starters in there and have them build some continuity? But you know, it it appears to be um, at least improving somewhat. No, yeah, that's a, a great point. Um, I have to say, against Boston College, really, there's not a whole lot you can. I don't think you can take away uh, in terms of the O line picking up different blitz and, and stunts and things like that, because that's been a big big issue. Just just missing, just gaffs and guys letting uh, uh, defensive linemen have free shots at Deshaun Watson. Um, I, they they have looked better though. I think I think the run game is is looking the run blocking is looking a little bit better. Uh, pass protection I think is a bit of an issue. Jake from Morgan, who I think he has a lot of talent, but he was he really didn't look so good against uh, Boston College's defensive end. I think I can't recall the name, but uh, the guy was the best defensive player on their team. Uh, he needs to pick his game, the game up because that's that's definitely he was getting beat on the outside and you know he's better than that so uh, that's a little bit worrisome uh, maybe the last you said passing comments maybe the last thought is is and I've if you uh, listened when you were in France I was I was harping on Deshaun Watson just being utilized a little bit more in the run game and you know it's kind of like J T Barrett we'll talk a little bit about Ohio State later but they 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 go to him almost every single play in these zone reads and they maybe a little bit over reliant on him for the for for them to move the chains um, and he's taken a ton of hits and maybe we want to cap that a little bit with this Sean Watson but ultimately though I look at some of the numbers and as as we approach the end of the year last year you know he was moving up in the high teens into the 20s in terms of carries per game against North Carolina, Oklahoma, and Alabama, and even South Carolina when that game was relatively close. So, you know, we don't have to do that against Syracuse. We definitely don't have to do it against uh, uh, Wake. 
But as we as we go into you know maybe a Florida State, I think he needs to be very uh, ready to run, not just in design runs and, and zone reads, but also just scramble um, so he's not taking hits. And that that's what makes our offense, I think, take it up a notch. Yeah, a couple of comments there. Number one, I think um, it's good to know that we've got that gear or sort of have that that um, arrow in our quiver, if you will, uh, for later. And I, I almost agree with not not letting him out there to run 15 to 20 times a game at the moment, um, just to keep him healthy as much as possible. But additionally, I feel like um, what we, we needed Deshaun to run that many times a year ago to get offensive production because we actually lacked the deep ball threat of a Mike Williams. Deion Kane was suspended for the playoff. And granted, Hunter Renfro stepped into that role admirably and we were able to move the ball downfield with him, most memorably against Alabama. But I guess what I'm saying is for this year so far and potentially throughout the rest of the year, uh, we've got more options, more weapons on offense. We haven't needed Deshaun's offense to really lead lead the team. And Deshaun's running offense, I mean. Um, granted, I mean, he's certainly gotten you know yards when he's needed to, picked up first downs. Uh, but I, I wouldn't be surprised personally if we we do start to see some of those attempts rise as we get into some of the postseason and you know later season games, possibly even against Florida State if we need um, his legs to get us yards to move move the chains and score points. Uh, but we are in a luxurious position of having other offensive threats here, including the, the deep ball. Right. I, I think the perfect word uh, to describe the, the offense is synergy because uh, every time you, you add a new wrinkle, even if that is Deshaun on a, on a few more design runs or just scrambles or if it's Artavis uh, a little bit more on the perimeter, it's one more thing that the defense will and the and the defensive coordinators will have to plan for, prepare for, and that that starts to open up little uh, little nooks and crannies in, in the, on the field, little little areas where we can find maybe a mismatch, and uh, and that, that and that's great. Yeah, I think like you said, going forward, you will see more of Deshaun Watson in any must-win game. Yeah, he's going to be running. Yeah, I mean, if we could if you, if we could pencil in right now, getting the offensive line push and protection that we had a year ago, I would take it certainly. I think that's something we'll look look for in coming weeks here to see if they can continue to create lanes, both for he and Wayne Gallman. Right. And uh, maybe one last thing is, is it, it goes to pace a little bit too. And I, you know, I'm not overly uh, concerned that by the fact that we haven't worked in pace. Uh, I think that's probably because we, the time of possession, we leave the defense on the field a little bit longer than we would like and that that results in a very tired defense having to move guys in risk of injury etc the, the the deal is though and i've heard this from florida state uh bud elliott talking about florida state and and overvaluing an offensive coordinator coordinator overvaluing his input you know pre-snap essentially saying my input on this play is worth more than the potential opportunity to catch a defender off guard or, or you know get him while he's, he's a little uh little tired or fatigued uh, and I don't think that I think Chad Morris was, you know, he was militant in his belief about pace uh, at all times. And I mean, Kevin still obviously didn't like it back then. But I, I think there is something to be said for that. So I wonder if that could be the next wrinkle, playing with a little bit of pace. I think who that also helps is the offensive line because they'll have a chance to to beat their guys off the off the ball a little bit more. Uh, defensive linemen will have to work harder to the whistle than an offensive lineman, at least in general, they will. Yeah, it's a good point, and I feel like if that was a component of our offense one year ago that isn't there now. Maybe that's explaining some of the uh, offensive line woes that we might have seen up to this point. Why don't you mention the pace and the effect that that could have on the defense? Um, 
knowing that it has been, you know, less of a, the defense has been out there quite a bit more. It's really encouraging to see this unit um, as a whole continue to play so well and pile up sacks and tackles for loss. Um, and really with such a dominant front four, and it's not just the, the same four starters that are out there the whole time. We're getting tons of production from the depth of the, of the defensive line. Um, but, you know, having such a dominant front four really show up, it's, it's hard for me to know what we've got with the back seven at this point. Uh, we've seen a lot of players come through and get playing time. And I'm curious, Cody, what you've seen from the back seven to indicate that they could hold up against um, as po- you know, more potent offenses that we could face in the postseason. Granted, we've, we've, we've played one of the, the most potent offens- offenses in the country in Louisville, um, and this unit made plays and did what they needed to. Uh, but anything, any takeaways from the secondary through the first six games? Yeah, that that's that is a huge. I think a huge um, question mark still uh, because we we haven't faced anyone. Uh, Lamar Jackson definitely uh, put us to the test a little bit with his arm, um, but our front four has been so dominant. And you know, we're here. We are not really talking that much about Boston College because, frankly, I just don't think there's a lot that we can learn from them aside from you know you know Dabo is a great motivator. He's great getting guys ready to go on a road trip to Boston on a Friday night. Yeah, they have the number one hundred. They what the hundredth or so rated offense in the country, possibly even worse than that. Um, they also had their center go down in this game, which there were a lot of snap issues. Um, and in general, just it's not an offense you can learn a lot about your defense playing against. Right, exactly. It's uh, when you have uh, guys that'll be playing in the NFL next year or in the next couple of years against going against a couple of uh, you know two star players uh, on, on the offensive line. I mean, it looks like what it's supposed to look like. Four guys getting penetration with the occasional, you know, linebacker blitz, and yeah, there's not there's not a lot we can draw on. But and and you know, part of that, so much pocket pressure, including against Louisville, doesn't give our quarterbacks a lot of time or opposing quarterbacks a lot of time to potentially exploit a weakness in the secondary if one does exist. We don't know yet. Um, what I've seen from Marcus Edmond, and you're talking about Marcus Edmond, Ryan Carter. Uh, even even guys like Corn Wiggins and Tank, I believe they were all in the same recruiting class. They're just a, a band of what were really a bunch of three star guys. I think Ryan Carter was a guy that you know two star who you know we no one wanted him because he was from Grayson. He was looked at as a throw in in the Kimdichi uh, recruitment, and here they are looking so sure handed. You know I I can't speak to their coverage ability. Marcus Edmond has looked good and confident in coverage, but you know, I, I don't know how they're going to do against great receivers. But I will say they are generally, uh, when I watch them, in the right place at the right time. You look at Ryan Carter playing on the line at the line of scrimmage. Man, he's only you know five eight, you know one hundred sixty pounds, soaking wet. But he is playing like a man uh, that's that's possessed out there. And I, I'm very very impressed with his performance because I mean we saw it last year. You know it doesn't get much. You don't get much more athletic than the combination of you know T.J. Green and, and J. Ron Curse at the safety position. But when you factor in I don't know, just the bust, you know, mainly from TJ Green, maybe a little bit of lack of effort or injury from Curse. You know, it led to really our, our you know, our undoing and our, you know, losing the national championship. So, I, you know, I'll, I'll take 5'8 Ryan Carter. I'll take, you know, 150 pound Marcus Edmond because, you know, look at the Louisville game. Look at the ending to that game. I've watched that replay over and over and over. And if he is a second late, if it's, if it's Mark Fields or if it's Trayvon Mullen in there, there's no way they make that play. That just the, the maturity, you know, having the reps, fourth year in the program, that was just a, it was a tremendous play. 
they call I think they call it zone eyes. You know, knowing where you're supposed to be and, and making the making the play. So anyway, long long winded rant of just saying all those guys in the secondary they might be like utility players or you know career backups, but they're playing you know tremendously as as, as starters. Hundred percent. And what's really nice here in the next week or two. Those guys, you know, hopefully, and I, I imagine they'll continue to get playing time and have impact on games, but um, they'll be pushed back down the depth chart somewhat by the return of Adrian Baker. So if you if you consider, I think we'll face probably our hardest uh, pocket passer in DeAndre Francois here in about three weeks. Uh, it's going to be nice to get Baker some time and some reps back into the defense. Um, nice knowing that behind him, you've got these guys that can step in and make plays when needed. Even if they don't give you the, you know, necessarily the, again, we want to talk about the eye test. They're not the prototypical DBs um, that, you know, we're, we were expecting to come in and step in for Mac, for instance. But, you know, awesome that they performed. And really, that was a season-saving play by Marcus Edmond. He followed that up by a great game against BC. Just guys that have been in the system long enough, and they, they know what to do. They know their assignment. And that's... in. That's all Brent Venables' uh, defense is. It's it's you have your responsibility. Stick to it. Don't uh, you know? Don't take a risk. Don't do anything you're not supposed to. And everyone can help be held accountable. And these guys are just you know following suit, doing the right things. And more more often than not, they're in the right place at the right time. And uh, you know you can't can't really say the same for last year. And yeah yeah big uh, talk, speaking of Adrian Baker, another guy in that same recruiting class uh, that you know he's he's going to be. He's going to be back. I think that's a big shot in the arm. I hope he's healthy because we we could definitely use him. Uh, and maybe just a quick bit on Trayvon Mullen and, and uh, Mark Fields. You know, they they were in the game a good bit. And when I when I watch them, I can see a, a, a great amount of speed and, and athleticism. Um, I wonder if if they're if they're there yet in terms of going up against big you know big competition. I, I don't think they are. So I think you know it's good that they're getting the reps now. But I think as you move forward to these big games, you're probably going to see more Ryan Carter and more Marcus Edmonds. We've got the Blue Angels flying overhead here in San Francisco, guys. Uh, so <laughs> I'll, I'll try to mute up whenever possible. But um, yeah, Cody, I, I guess when we, when we think about the back seven and really this defense, um, if you want to try to find a weak point or something that you know, we all want to worry about and, and focus on as fans, because that's what we do, um, I feel like confident tight ends and really over the middle is where we've, we've seen some teams get chunk yardage against this defense. Uh, there's Hickatini for Louisville had that touchdown play. Unfortunately, Ben Bulware wasn't able to spot that ball and, and knock it down. Um, and he really was able to do just about what he wanted. Um, how do you see this happening within Brent Venable's scheme? I mean, is that something that we're just kind of sacrificing the flats um, in order to try to create pressure on the quarterback and you know not get broken down on the on the on the outside? Um, what do you see? How do you see the tight end? How can we reconcile the tight ends? I guess getting chunk yardage. You know, I hate to say this, but I, I don't think there is a great solution to that to that issue. I think it's, like you said, it's something that we sacrifice as part of our scheme, as part of our uh, pursuit of the uh, the backfield. And and if you look at, you know, one of the great things about the Venables defense, every game's a, a, chess, a chess match with him. He's going to send linebackers. He's going to pull, pull linebackers in, and he's not going to send them. He's trying to get inside the quarterback's head. He's trying to collapse the pocket, but whenever you're sending in, you know, a bullet blitz, a uh, bullware, you know, through the through the a gap, it, it's gonna it's gonna leave something open. And I think defenses are are, are becoming smart to that. I think Louisville exposed this a little bit because they always had a 
a guy in the flat, a guy on the underneath, and you know you drop, you bring in five, you drop, you drop six. Uh, well, they're in zone, and the, and the closest space to you is going to be that area. So I think it's just something we give up. If there is a weakness of this team, it's it's just probably by by that you know just schematically that's that's part of it. And also maybe a little bit of that linebacker sideline to sideline speed. It was it was kind of an issue last year. You know, kudos to Ben Bowler because I feel like his knowledge of the game makes him puts him in the right spot almost every time. Um, but when you, when it comes down to it, you know, our nickel sand position don't quite have the you know athletic freak that we would like to have there. Uh, Dorian O'Daniel's great in, in in short line burst, but he's not really laterally quick. I think Kibon Wallace is a freshman. Well, you know, I've seen I like what I've seen from him, but I don't think he's quite there yet. And then uh, you know, Bulware and, and Joseph and uh, Kendall Joseph are good, but not quite the just athletic freaks, um, you know, that we would you know, we'd like to have. But um, so that's a weakness, and we're getting a little nitpicky. But you know, again, you, you go up against some of that high level competition, Louisville. You know, they will exploit. You know, a couple good coaching with great players, they will exploit some of those weaknesses. Among the teams we're likely to face, let's say in a playoff scenario, um, teams with really strong tight ends are going to be Michigan and Alabama. Obviously, with um, with unfortunately, we, we all remember that game. Um, I think Washington less so, but certainly there are some teams out there that can get that position. And you know whether they're running a, a big receiver through the middle too. That's how I'd scheme against this team. It's going to be interesting to see. You know, will the defense stick to their guns, or will we need to make an adjustment there and potentially um, you know go, move with a different type of package to get more personnel on the field um, to cover that spot and maybe sacrifice a bit of pass rush or, or coverage but it's it's definitely something we're likely to face at least one team down the stretch that has a dominant tight end again so could be a cause for concern yeah and maybe maybe just to close out our, our defense I, I think the one thing that we have and I think it will translate even against some of the, the higher levels of competition is just an unbelievable interior line and what I see from Dexter Lawrence is that he keeps getting better and better and in uh, Carlos Watkins, it's like it's like he's just running, has a, a free shot at the quarterback on almost every other play. Uh, so I, I really like what I see from them. I don't, you know, nationally, I don't think we get quite the credit that we deserve. Uh, you look at Alabama's, you know, interior line last year, and they, you know they were historically good and all that, all that jazz. I think Clemson's it's not far behind. And once you can move Christian Wilkins back inside, you know, every every now and then, couple him with. Watkins or couple him with Dexter Lawrence and, and Pagano, man, Pagano, talk about getting leverage and, and driving guys back. Uh, just a, an elite, elite interior line, and, and that's something that we don't, you know, we can really go to the bank on that blitz four, um, uh, you know, or just I'm sorry, send four, and still get pressure on the quarterback. That's just a huge, huge part of uh, our defense. If we couldn't do that, um, things would be a lot tougher, and I'd be a lot more scared going up against some of these uh, higher level opponents that do have those good tight ends. Yeah, I mean, I think that's we've seen this in Bullware being able to make his plays on the outside or back in coverage or um, potentially on blitzes. But really, the front four getting pressure has enabled that that linebacker core to really hang back, and that's been the difference in a lot of these games. And it's been the difference in reducing Louisville's yards per play and plays per game even a week ago. Uh, so really, you can point to the guys up front leading the charge on that. Right, and I contend, and I wasn't able to do the post-game uh, Louisville, I, I contend that if our offense doesn't turn the ball over, doesn't keep shooting itself in the foot, then that's we can hold Louisville to a, a lot uh, less uh, touchdowns and a lot fewer scores. Um, it, you know, we, we, couldn't keep, we couldn't stay on the field on offense, and it, it, our defense was gassed. And when you're gassed against Lamar Jackson, 
he's he's bound to make things happen. Him coupled with Petrino, it's just a a nasty combination. Right. Well, I uh, don't think we'll face as Pearson offense the rest of the year, and um, so that that's at least you know cold comfort. <laughs> but anyway, you know another great performance from this defense. Granted, it was against Boston College, but short week. Those guys played 99 plays, you know, six days previous, and. To me, it didn't really look like they missed a beat. So, um, you know, hats off to our strength and conditioning guys and Coach Venables and getting those guys ready to go um, in Boston as well. Uh, well, why don't we pivot here, Cody, and take a look at the weekend that was. Um, playoff picture is starting to become a little bit clearer now. Um, I'll mention a couple of results that definitely shook things up and impacted um, the landscape of college football here. Um, two, two big games. Number one, uh, I think they were ranked number six, undefeated Houston, went into Annapolis and came out with a loss against Navy. That has a couple of lingering effects. Number one, essentially that eliminates Houston from the playoff uh, picture. You know, they would have needed to be undefeated and still get some help to be considered. Uh, but what that also does is that, that damages Louisville's strength of schedule. Um, Louisville, at this point, their marquee win is against Florida State. We'll touch on them shortly, but... Outside of that, they're really going to need that Houston game to be a marquee game for them. Now with Houston losing, they're probably going to be you know, a lingering team in the teens. If they continue to win, that won't have as much luster if they are able to get that win. Houston's also a really good team and could challenge Louisville. So I feel like you know, I don't want to necessarily eliminate Louisville at this point, but I think it's going to be a huge uphill battle for them to make the playoff. Um, elsewhere, in terms of singling teams out, uh, I think another playoff contender, Tennessee, um, took a big step back by losing on the road in a tough place to play against Texas A&M. Uh, so now it's really the SEC West has a couple of heavyweights in Alabama, of course, and A&M. Uh, that game, I think, is coming up here shortly um, in a week or two. But really, Cody, in my mind, this this actually made things clearer if you're a Clemson in that there are, were two teams that could have com- competed with us had are, you know, should we put up one loss on our schedule? Uh, those were two teams that could have been lingering right there that at this point are probably not going to be there at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, you start with Louisville. And coming away from that game, I was, I was surprised. I listened to a lot of these national podcasts, different services, and everyone had the same reaction. Wow, Louisville looked really good. Those looked like two great teams. And it was as sloppy as I thought Clemson played on offense. Everyone took away that, wow, these are two great teams, and Louisville is right there in that top five, top four conversation. Well, yeah, huge loss by Houston because that really does damage their uh, strength of schedule. And, you know, it, it'll be tough. And I think, and not, not, not to dive into the, you know, the SEC uh, quite yet, I, I want to take it to the Pac-12 because I think the, the person, or the, I'm sorry, the team that's going to inch uh, Louisville out in the case that they can run the table, they can beat Houston, they can blow teams away, is Washington because I just I think the Pac-12 is down. I, I can't I don't know for sure if Washington is a is a, a poser or if they're you know they're fraudulent if they're if they're really this good. But they're they're beating the the breaks off of different teams and I just there's no way that even if Louisville does uh, looks like looks the part finishes beats beats Houston blows everyone out. Um, they're they're sitting there with one loss and then you got Pac-12 undefeated champion potentially even a one loss if Washington were to slip up. And still lose, and still win the uh, the Pac-12, where they they get in by way of uh, the conference championship. That that matters, you know, it matters to the the committee. I think that will trump anything that they can do. So 
let's just say it's good that we didn't lose last week because that just such an uphill battle if we would have lost. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I mean, a couple of comments, couple on, comments on, Washington. on Washington. I actually think I actually Washington think has Washington to run the table, the table in order to, in order to um, make the playoff. They, ben mentioned a week ago when we talked, we talked uh, they have a really poor really strength of schedule, schedule. Um, and that's not looking that's not to get any better, better as the Pac-12 Pac continues to just, to just you know, you know, look like a... Look like a a, a lost, lost conference. conference. Um, if you if you go, you, you go would wonder what year it is. If you look at the, the I looked at the scores around the league around last, league last um, night. Cal lost, UCLA lost, Stanford lost, um, Oregon obviously lost to Washington. Um, UW, we're not sure yet if they're legit. I mean, I, I hate to use the they ain't play nobody type of thing, but they've been blowing teams out. They look really dominant. Um, we knew they'd have a good defense coming in. I think their quarterback was a question mark, and some of their um, ability, willingness, I guess, to run. The football is a question mark, uh, but they seem to be winning in the trenches. I guess I'm reserving judgment on them until I see them win some road road tests. They've got a couple of those coming up. They go to Utah, which might be the the second best team in the Pac-12 at this point, um, and then they also go to Cal, which is a pretty high power offense. Let's see if they can hold up against that. But um, I feel like we should bring our resident Washington fan, and he's kind of our unofficial podcast producer and engineer. Let's bring our buddy. Dan back on in a couple, on in a couple weeks, weeks, you know, and see, yeah, and see what he has to say about Washington. Right. He, and by the way, by the way, Dan was in some of our first episodes and he is the creator of the, the intro song with the Dabo, uh, the Dabo little tidbits, sound, sound and, bites. Uh, the sound bites. Yep. Yes. Yep. Um, so yeah, he, he's the guy. And, and, you know, honestly, as a Clemson fan, we're, you know, we're talking about Louisville's chances of getting into the, the playoff. I think that is maybe more than just about any team I've seen. I, I do not want to play. Lamar Jackson again. I just I don't. There's and, and Bobby Petrino, his just wizardry as a play caller. I, I just don't want to face them. I'll, I'll, I'll say right now, I'll, I'll face Washington any day over a rematch with Louisville. Yeah, we'll see if it comes to that. I mean, I think um, I personally feel like Louisville is somewhat um, eliminated at this point due to their strength of schedule, and they won't have that conference championship if Washington loses. Their strength of schedule and their you know really lack of um, a top 25 marquee win is going to come into question, um, even if they do win their conference. I think that's where you're going to look to the SEC and the Big Ten and see who are the one-loss teams or non-champions in those leagues. And are they are they going to get the nod over a one-loss Washington or over a one-loss non-champion Louisville um, is going to be the question. And at this point, it looks like those teams are going to be one of Alabama or Texas A&M unless the SEC chaos theory comes into play. I mean, I don't know if you've been watching Tennessee this year, but I I've, I mean, that's my biggest, I don't want to say guilty pleasure, like rooting against them, or, or I think I started rooting for them last week because they, I think they were using some of that San Francisco Giants, uh, what do you call it, uh, devil magic, because they were pulling <laughs> things, <laughs> rabbits out the hat, and I was just waiting against that in that A&M game for them to, for them to somehow pull it out, and they almost did. Uh, if you think watching Clemson can be painful, like against Louisville, turning the ball over a handful of times, well, they turned it over six times, and, and they still almost won. Um, but they, you know, despite all of that, they're still in the hunt. They have one loss. They got Alabama at home. I don't think they'll win, but uh, if they do, then that just throws everything off. Uh, you have, like you said, A and M in the hunt. They're still undefeated. They'll have. I, I think that game's in Tuscaloosa, um, but you know, it's still a. a a, a team that could beat Alabama. And you're, I mean, you're talking about a complete, uh, you know, a complete chaos theory and assuming that Alabama were to come, come out with two losses. And then, you know, what do you do? You, and maybe it's a 
a one-loss Tennessee team or two-loss Tennessee team that, for example, that wins the SEC championship. I don't, I'm not going to go there quite yet, but I'm just, I'm kind of monitoring it. And I hope it all crumbles, and I hope the SEC is the team this year that gets left out of the, uh, out of the playoff. Well, it's possible. I mean, Alabama could have the one loss to Texas A&M. By the way, that game's in College Station, so tough place to play. Kyle Field, newly renovated. Um, you know, I don't expect them to lose, but very well could. Uh, they could be left out of the SEC West representation in the, in the SEC championship game. I mean, it could be kind of a, uh, a three-horse, one-loss race going on there, potentially. Um, we don't know what's going on in the East with Florida. I mean, they've got one loss. They lost to Tennessee. But they could end up with one fewer losses than them um, in conference and sneak into that championship game over Tennessee. Uh, I think, yeah, the SEC, you know, there's kind of the, the groundswell there for some chaos going on down the stretch. Um, knowing our luck, it's probably going to be undefeated Alabama that sneaks through that, but you know, it's definitely one to keep an eye on. <laughs> Maybe one team would be LSU to keep an eye on because I think they're really uh, someone lit a fire under them after the after Les Miles is firing, and now uh, you know they have Alabama in Death Valley, their Death Valley, so uh, they could really throw a whole uh, a wrench into the into the SEC plans. But like you said. The one tried and true of the SEC over the last, I don't know if it's been a decade now, it's been a long time, is, is Alabama. Uh, the process, uh, the boa constrictor just doing what they do, executing at a high level. And, uh, and from what I've seen, they deserve that number one tag. I, don't, I have a hard time seeing Tennessee beating them. And when you talk about discipline versus complete lack of discipline, it's, it's night and day. We'll see, how, we'll see what happens. Elsewhere, I feel like the Big Ten is the other area where you might – you might end up with two teams that have a strong case for making the playoff, and that's Michigan and Ohio State. Um, you know, Michigan just annihilated Rutgers. They slipped past Wisconsin a week ago. Um, and then Ohio State, you know, has looked strong. I mean, they, they dominated Oklahoma, but then they, you know, needed some help down the stretch to get past a, an Indiana team. You know, they didn't necessarily put that team away. So um, I think there's still some question marks about both of those teams. The good part is it's not like both teams have a cakewalk to get to um, the big t- uh, to that you know last week rivalry game showdown against one another. Ohio State has got to go to Wisconsin this coming week, and then um, Michigan also has to play Michigan State. Now it's not your it's not the Michigan State of the last two to three years, but still a tough place to play for them. Um, I think we should all be watching both of those games closely to see what. Um, what both of those teams are made of, and are they actually legit? I know I plan to kind of pencil those into my viewing. Uh, but I feel like, yeah, you know, both of those teams are top five at this point or right there top six in the AP poll, um, and they're going to get the benefit of the doubt from the committee for sure, just knowing um, the schedules that they play, that, how they've looked, the eye test against other teams. And, you know, money talks, and both of those teams will bring a lot of attention and fan bases to – uh, or part of their fan base to whatever playoff games get hosted. Absolutely, and that's something you have to factor in. Um, the, part of it, though, too, is you know say what you want about Harbaugh. Uh, he is a heck of a coach. He's got them playing at their optimal level. I think already they're they're one of the most, I think the only team that's in the S and P top ten, both offense, defense, and special teams. So every facet of the game, you're talking about you know, just a heck of a coach. We know what he did with the Niners out here. Uh, just turning them around overnight. Uh, I think he's doing that at Michigan. Um, same with Ohio State. Urban Meyer is about as good as it gets, one of the best in the business. And he was taking 
eight starters on both or losing eight starters on both sides of the ball. You know, plugging in a bunch of guys. It's essentially what we did have done on defense the last two years. You you bring in talent and great coaching, and it doesn't really matter. You don't really see a drop off. You just what you the product you bring out's elite and. I, I got to say, both of these teams uh, worry me to some extent, just in their level of execution and uh, you know, obviously talent. I think Ohio State is the more talented of the two, but uh, that's something we haven't, and that's part of our frustration. We haven't been able to execute at the highest level, at least on offense, and you're seeing these guys just not miss a beat. Um, but uh, I guess ultimately, against Michigan, I, I do feel like we have superior talent to, with a much higher upside than, than, than what they bring out. Maybe can't say the same for Ohio State, but uh, but anyway, just kind of running through those guys, running through those teams, both very good, playing at a high level. I'll definitely be watching um, watching them for the next what six weeks. Yeah, and in general, I mean, I feel like um, I would hope Clemson fans here, as we we're poised. I mean, we're poised for a playoff run here. Get past Florida State, um, get through the ACC championship game, and I think we've got a clear path. Those aren't foregone conclusion wins for us, uh, but I. I think it would be prudent of Clemson fans at this point to start looking around the national landscape, look at who our would-be opponents could be down the stretch in the playoff, and some of these schools we mentioned could be that. They're playing very exciting games as well. So um, in addition to trying to watch those games, if you're trying to keep up on them, learn a little bit more about their teams, you know, there's always the SB Nation sites uh, for these schools that you can check out. Um, but in terms of national podcasts as well, that's a good place to go. We're very fond of podcasting, Play Nobody. Uh, a lot of people also like the Solid Verbal. Um, and then the Audible with Bruce Feldman and Stuart Mandel. I think they're currently at Fox uh, as writers. Those guys do a good job too. So check those out. Get those into your podcast repertoire along with the podcast. Um, if you want to keep track of national news, national thinking about what's going on in the sport, because it's a really exciting time at the moment. Right, I was I was telling you earlier, you know, this isn't you know a three and three Clemson team, and we're trying to, you know, kind of uh, sort through the schedule to see where we can find three more wins to make it to a you know a bowl game. Like, this is a different time. You know, we, we're we're looking at not the you know three wins. We're looking at three or four teams that we think may or may not be better than us, and and the bracket's starting to shape to take shape, and it's it's such a it's a fun time. It's an exciting time, and uh, you know I. I at the end of the day, I like to see, you know, what is our upside? Because we haven't reached it yet. What is our upside, and is it better than Ohio State's upside? Is it better than Michigan, uh, Washington, Alabama's? And I don't know, it's, it's, it's always a fun question to ask. Yeah, and not only that, also to look at these teams and look at their strengths and weaknesses, see it revere or manifest itself in games, and think about our team. We know our, our team is, as well as any other. You know, we know the strengths and, and would-be weaknesses uh, and it's going to be nice here as we continue to figure out like who, who we'd like to play. I think we get that question a lot, like who do you want in the in the ACC championship? Who do you want in the first leg of the playoff? And who do you want to beat in the in the championship game? You know, besides something like wanting to beat Alabama for the revenge factor, um, I don't know that they're my answer to either of those because of the matchup they present for us. But uh, always fun to kind of know a little bit more about your opponent coming in. It makes it a lot more fun. I think I agree with you too. I I, I don't I want no part of Alabama from what I've seen from them. They just they don't miss a beat. Uh, playmakers at every position. It seems like they they figured out their quarterback situation. They've added some pace to their offense, even more so. And uh, that's I would say if any team maybe that I think I, that I've seen that I would potentially want to play, it might be Michigan, just because I saw Wisconsin's front seven uh, just kind of dominate them and stymie their offense. I think our our front seven would be. 
comparable, if not even better. And then uh, just with a little bit more upside from our offense, and you know, hopefully the best, one of the best quarterbacks in the nation, in Deshaun Watson by by uh, December or January. So that might be the one team that I want to play. So the book's still out on Ohio State. I don't know if you have any any thoughts there. No, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, I grew up an Ohio State fan. I, I haven't been able to watch any of their games so far as, as I was traveling and timing didn't work out. But um, yeah, I hope to definitely check out their Wisconsin game this coming weekend. Um, Bill Connolly writes for SB Nation, did a great job writing about their team. And do they have any flaws? I still have to dig into that one. So uh, stay tuned. I'll, I'll happily, you know, try to try to be somewhat unbiased talking about the Buckeyes. But they're, they're right there in the picture, but hey, they drop one to Wisconsin here, and they might be be in a tough spot, you know, down the stretch. So it's certainly possible. I'm with you. I have, for whatever reason, I just haven't been able to watch Ohio State play. I watched parts of the Indiana game, and they weren't that great. But I'm not going to use a, a one game, you know, couple quarter sample to make my make my judgment on them. So um, I, I'm going to be tuning in for the for the coming weeks. For sure. Well, in terms of games coming out this next weekend, um, well, actually, before we go there, I want to ask you if you saw any of that Florida State-Miami game last night. So I, I watched bits and pieces, but I, I was a little busy, so I, I didn't, and I really wanted to see it because I wanted to see if Miami was for real. Uh, all I got really was a final score, so I think you watched yeah, it, right? Yeah. So do you, do you have any comments or opinions? Yeah, I mean, I watched the... So first of all, a few comments and takeaways. I didn't watch the whole game, but watched most of the second half. And um, DeAndre Francois looks like you know a, a really strong competitor. Um, played with a shoulder injury all game. Played with a lot of toughness and made throws when he needed to um, across his body, across the field to Dalvin Cook uh, for a long touchdown pass um, completion. Dalvin actually only had something that was only like his second or third receiving touchdown in his career, which was shocking to me. But Francois looked good. Um, Florida State's defensive line looked good. Again, I, this is playing Miami. We have question marks about their legitimacy. Uh, I still think it, it's Tallahassee is going to be a really tough place for us to play. Florida State did look strong, though. Um, but they needed a lot of craziness to happen in order for them to win that game against Miami on the road. So uh, I'm not willing to say like Florida State is better than their record at the moment, um, but they've been playing with some injury. And I don't know that their coaching has necessarily figured out, you know, the formula to get that team back on track. Um, they're still, I mean, safe to say though, Cody, both of us, I think, had Florida State competing for a playoff spot. You know, maybe upending Clemson to win the ACC altogether. They are not that team, and you can't chalk that entirely up to uh, Derwin James being out and a little bit of, of a banged up D line. I think it's, you know, they're a different team than that, and they're. They're underperforming, but that said, you know they're still a dangerous team, super talented, for the most part, well coached. Um, I think that's something that, you know, I'm definitely going to keep a close eye on Florida State here as well. Yeah, I think their their biggest, and you alluded to this earlier. Their I think their biggest strength, or maybe their biggest uh, potential advantage against us is it, it, DeAndre Francois can be a really good passer if put in the right situations, and uh, and that's something we haven't really been tested. A guy that can drop back in the pocket. He's got, man, he's got a great, great arm. He's kind of the opposite of Deshaun Watson in terms of not a lot of touch, but a, a cannon for an arm. So, uh, and, the, and the receivers are better this year for Florida State. That's been something that's been kind of a, a shortcoming in, in years past. So uh, that, their team, I mean, their, their defense is, is, has kind of been the weak link on the, on the team. Like you said, there were some injuries on the D-line, Derwin James, but you know they're going to have 
Tallahassee. They're going to have, uh, what is it, Doe Campbell, scream, all the screaming fans there. So that, I think that gives them a little bit of a leg up. So that, yeah, I mean, it's not the team that we thought it was. It's not a top five juggernaut, but it's still going to be a formidable opponent uh, in Tallahassee. So um, it, I don't know. It, it's going to be a tough one. We're going to have to, you know, throw out the kitchen sink. And the only other score that I think affects Clemson some um, is the result in the Coastal. Uh, Virginia Tech bludgeoned North Carolina at home, um, made that offense that everyone was so big on look anemic by comparison. Um, so look out for the Hokies. I think I had them picked as my coastal champion. They could still find a way not to, not to win that. But um, yeah, Virginia Tech is going to have some interesting matchups um, down the stretch. But I, I need to learn more about that team. I've not paid a lick of attention to them. And if they're going to be our opponent, here in early December in that championship game. Um, not sure what to look for there, but first-year coach, Justin Fuente, longtime D.C., Bud Foster. Seems like their defense did a number in that game. Yeah, it, well, you know, I'm going to say pump the brakes a little bit because they were, they were playing in a monsoon similar to the Notre Dame game from last year. Uh, and if that's going to benefit anyone, it's going to benefit the, you know, the ground and pound you know, a team that probably is a little bit better in the trenches of Virginia Tech and the, the high-flying or high-powered uh, spread offense in North Carolina was definitely in, uh, impacted by that game. You know, this, the margin of, uh, of victory probably tells you that Virginia Tech might have been the better team, but uh, I'll still say pump the brakes. Although, I, I, you know, all, all in all for the, the ACC Coastal, you know, Miami probably isn't the 10th best team in the country, but they're better. Mark Rick has them playing at a level, level much higher than they, they ever reached last year. Uh, Virginia Tech, I, I, you know, I think, like you said, you picked them to win the Coastal. I think they have a clear path. Uh, Pittsburgh's going to be a tough opponent at home, and then in North Carolina, I, I, I yeah, I don't, I, I would, I would caution against uh, uh, taking too much for, from this uh, outcome because I still think they have a high-powered offense and, and, and I guess an acceptable defense. Yeah, and it's still maybe theirs to lose. I mean, I think Virginia Tech probably won't go through unscathed, and then um, they. Still might need to. They're going to need to lose too to be able to for UNC to get in there. But UNC might give Clemson the hardest game of all those teams, considering you know they they give as close to a Louisville look as any of these teams do, um, who who gave us all we could handle. So uh, Coastal is going to be interesting. But I, I think what you're alluding to is that that division at least is taking a step forward this year, um, which is going to pay dividends down the line when we talk about uh, the ACC's perception around the country. Could Clemson, you know, get through with the benefit of the doubt of having one loss? You know, those kind of things help when you've got, you know, six teams in the top 25 as a league. It's good that none of them are uh, like Miami's not 2000, you know, uh, 2001 Miami, um, but they're still good. And it, it's some legitimate test that they'll get. It's not, you know, well, luckily, you know, we don't have to play any uh, in the upcoming games, but it's not, you know, Murderer's Row of Wake Forest, BC, and, uh, and Syracuse. Uh, There's some formidable teams. Although Notre Dame, on the other hand, uh, I'm glad we got them in, in 2015 and not 2016 because that, that win looks a lot better in 2015 than it would in 2016. Yeah, we don't need that strength of schedule pulling us down. We've already got South Carolina on our schedule. So, um, you know, can't, can't deal with two, two bottom dwellers pulling our strength of schedule down too much. Uh, but yeah, what a... How, how far and how fast the, that team has fallen. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Brian Kelly. If he mutually decides to move on, if they make a move for him, or if they let him stick around and you know give it another go one more year. But i got to believe if he does survive this season, he'll be on the hot seat for next year. 
I think so, and you know he's he's done a good job with the program. Good a good coach, um, uh, high expectations, and that's a theme around a lot of the country. And it's you know that's something I I think I I, don't, I know you get on Twitter pretty actively, but it's something I really keep up with. Some mostly these SEC uh, fan bases. How I think Butch Jones uh, they were calling for his head uh, probably six times already this year, and then in the same like thirty minute window they were saying he's the greatest coach of all time. So. Um, anyway, it's- yeah, Tennessee, Tennessee Twitter is the most irrational group you'll ever find. Um, they'll, they'll come after Clemson fans left, right, and center due to, I think just, you know, anger over T Higgins and Amari Rogers coming to Clemson. But, um, anyway, yeah, it's, it's really funny looking at these coaching situations. I mentioned at the top joked around about Tom Herman now with Houston's loss, you know, looks like Charlie Strong at Texas might be on his way out. LSU's open. TBD on USC um, and maybe even Notre Dame, like pretty good time to be the darling young head coach uh, looking for a job. But it, you have to ask yourself, like, are certain programs on the downward trend of a full cycle, or is this just a blip in the radar for Oregon, for Stanford, for Notre Dame? Uh, some of these schools that have been dominant the last 10 years, experiencing a little bit of adversity this year, uh, I think when Schools are going to have to weigh the option of, and even you can put Auburn in this bunch. I mean, Auburn's looked pretty good, and Gus Malzahn might have saved his job with a couple of good wins here. But um, does Auburn want to make a move and try to go after Art Bryles or Tom Herman or somebody if they're going to be competing with those heavyweights that I mentioned? You know, for a coach. Um, you know, if if you are Stanford, Stanford's not going to move on from David Shaw. I don't think Oregon's going to fire Mark Helfrich. Like, it's they're probably going to stand pat, but. Um, it's just an interesting time, and it'll be it'll be cool to see which names are also thrown out there. You know, as guys you could hire away, or guys that have maybe been out of the game for a little bit that want to come back in, uh, or maybe some really you know awesome coordinators that are you know ready to make the next step. So I'm just glad Clemson's on the outside looking into that. You know, we're we're pretty solid overall. Um, so yeah, let's just spectate. I just hope Brent Venable stays put. And I, I don't think I don't think these big name schools are uh, are going to take him or going to hire a coordinator. I just I, you just don't really see that very often, uh, unless the case of like a Kirby Smart or he's going to his alma mater. But you see how the yep, yep. the kind of the, the what do you call it, the turnstiles when coach moves uh, that kind of opens some things up yeah, on the, the back the end. So I, the carousel. Right. There you go. Um, <laughs> so I, I hope that's not the case with Venables, um, but. Yeah, it, it, it's good to not be on that, on that side of the coin, for sure. Let's wrap up here, looking ahead to next week's games. Um, Clemson's got NC State. I haven't done a ton of research on them, Cody. They're undefeated in the league, though. Um, so that presents uh, some doomsday theory, conspiracy theory, not conspiracy theory, but doomsday scenarios if we were to misstep against NC State. Um, we'll see if we get on the air and talk about that game in the next couple days, but um, in, other, in terms of other games to look at, that game's on at noon. Um, other games, we've got uh, at 3.30, North Carolina goes to Miami. At this point, that's a pretty big game in the Coastal. Um, if Carolina wanna, wants to get back on the inside track to win the division, uh, Miami coming off that loss to Florida State, so that's going to be a good game to watch. At the same time, you've got Alabama-Tennessee going on. That one's in Knoxville, so um, Saban's got to take the act on the road try to get a win there in a tough spot um, where Tennessee will look to bounce back. And then the only other ranked matchup is um, at 8 o'clock Eastern. That is Ohio State-Wisconsin. That one's in Madison. 
Um, Camp Randall is going to be rocking, so that's going to be a really, really good game to watch next week. Oh, I guess Ole Miss and Arkansas is also a ranked matchup, but that one doesn't matter too much. Hey, you can't tell me these SEC games aren't aren't at least fun to watch. Um, and you say what you want about the SEC, yeah, but yeah. some good makes no, for good right, TV. Good spectating. I, I would just say from an implication standpoint, not huge, but um, you never know. Never know which you know how how it's going to shake out with the chaos. And um, Ole Miss had an off week. Chad Kelly got himself into some trouble. Got into a brawl at a high school game up in Buffalo. So um, I'm sure he'll receive zero discipline for that for those antics. So yeah, he'll probably I, play that I, game. Play that game. As we're as we're wrapping up, can I have a parting thought on not not just Chad Kelly but the SEC? Um, I, I heard the announcer, and I get so tired of this using. Um, SEC as a, as a to preface anything like SEC speed we've all heard that SEC speed yeah it's like, um, an, it's adjective. like an adjective yeah. yeah right and uh, and I've heard it like they're not SEC strong like in the trenches well I heard it um, the other day about A and M finally got SEC linebackers and that was from the color guy, commentator and I'm thinking you know what what this is that's ridiculous for one. Can we use SEC to also describe like some of the player sensibility or some of the discipline uh, discipline that's been doled out or um, some of the composure in, in certain situations? But anyway, just wanted to throw a jab out there. And uh, anyway, I just get, I get tired of that. Like you said, SEC being used as an adjective. And uh, and well, how, about, how about yeah. just, can he, it's can SEC, he SEC? Go ahead. Uh, SEC, SEC justice. justice. There you go. That that all right. Get your bumper sticker. Get your T-shirt. SEC justice. Um, yeah, that's good. And then I was just thinking for Chad Kelly. Uh, he should write a book on how I can you know hurt my draft stock and cost me millions uh, within a two-year span. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, he probably will get a shot though. I mean, he's got the pedigree in the Jim Kelly family tree. Uh, he's got a cannon for an arm, and I'm sure Ole Miss will have some more like you know 50, 60 point games coming through this coming through here. So. Someone's going to take a shot on him. If you look around the NFL, the number of you know lackluster quarterbacks out there in the league, uh, someone's going to take a shot on Chad Kelly. But chances are they're going to regret it. You're probably right. If, if Jameis Winston could get through the stuff that he got through and be the number one pick, then I'm sure Chad Kelly could you know pull off a first-round uh, grade. I wouldn't be that surprised. Yes, sir. Well, uh, I think that's all we had for today. Um, thank you once more for tuning in. Uh, Cody, any, any plugs you want to, you want to mention? Yeah, well, or yeah. We and then ob obviously, um, working with TigerNet, we've gone through um, some of the, the ways to follow them at TigerNet on, on Twitter. And um, also, they have the ticket section because there's still some uh, game, home games left that are, that are coming up. Uh, go to the ticket section of the TigerNet website. You can buy tickets from other Clemson fans. You can sell your tickets. You can find parking passes. And then, of course, basketball. College basketball is right around the corner. So you can uh, also find some tickets for that there as well. So it keeps tickets within Clemson circles. Um, tune into them just, just in general. There's a lot, a lot to be excited about right now. And a lot, lot of great player profiles coming out. Um, little in-depth articles from David Hood. Um, some behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on with the coaches uh, interviews and, and, and such. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely stay in tune with them and you'll enjoy the season a little bit better. Yeah. For me personally, I, I also find David hood to be a really strong Twitter follow. Um, especially with all the injury news that's happening, both in terms of guys that have just, you know, aggravated something, but, uh, encouragingly also guys coming back from injury. So we mentioned Adrian Baker. We've not mentioned Austin Bryant, who's likely to start this weekend against NC state. 
we might need him um, in terms of looks like Christian Wilkins had was a little bit banged up this past weekend. So uh, yeah, David Hood, as always, everyone knows about him. Great follower there um, as well. So that's all we had for this show. Thanks again for tuning in, guys, and go Tigers.